Welcome listeners to the 17th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt, with me today as always are the full crew, meaning co-hosts and powerful wizards, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Amazing welcomes to you, dear listeners. Hello everybody. Hello, I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech app. In today's episode, we will quickly go over the Paper Legacy we've played in the past week, and then we will take a good look at Innistrad Midnight Hunt, and what cards we are at least a bit intrigued to try out in the decks that we play. But first things first, Robin, how was your Paper Week? I had a good Paper Week after uh, last week's episode, which I didn't participate in. I've been thinking about uh, the championship and what deck to play. Uh, so I tested out uh, some of the decks that are on my maybe list, Lands, Bant, and Sharks still, trying to figure out what deck I might bring. And I played, uh, I started out playing Lands against Bant Blade. It didn't really go my way. And then I faced off against Lands, and uh, I was not really feeling like playing the Mirror, so I switched to uh, to my Bant deck instead. Uh, and then uh, at the end of that evening, I played against Doomsday, and then I stayed on Bant because that that's quite a nice matchup. And uh, another day, I I played a little bit more Bant against uh, Death and Taxes, and then I played Shark Steel against Rectifit. So I've been testing a little bit of these decks, and uh, I have decided to try to be a little bit more mainstream with my Bant deck. Uh, I've been missing out the sweepers and I feel like I want to take that deck in a little bit more controlly path again. So that's really good to have some sort of results from the testing to see what works and what doesn't work. That's interesting because you, a couple of weeks ago, you, you were sort of quite down on Terminus and quite down on the sweepers and you said you didn't feel they fit uh, fit the iteration of the deck that you were playing with? What made you change your mind? Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, I was I was missing playing a sweeper, <laughs> any sweeper, uh, because I, when, you, when you play a deck with not so many threats, uh, uh, it's really good to have that sort of uh, get back into the game card that Terminus can present. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, Band has a lot of cards that say draw a card, uh, you know, so you can end up drawing your Terminus at an awkward spot quite often. But uh, when when transforming this deck into a more controlly style, I think that I might play more instant speed card draws and uh, up the Sylvan library count and thus being able to float Terminus more easily. So I, I think I will have to co- accommodate for playing Terminus, changing a little bit in the deck. Like the, the configuration that I'm considering right now, I, I'm playing Quattles, uh, uh, for instance, that can trigger Terminus in the opponent's turn, and uh, two or three Sylvan libraries that can uh, keep it uh, on, the, on the top of the deck. Yeah, I was, I was uh, thinking when you said, uh, you know, playing uh, sorcery speed draw spells, uh, I've seen a lot of uh, the red splash going into Bant with expressive iteration and you know having the blasts in the sideboard. Is that something that uh, looks uh, you know like something you'd like to try out, or does that feel like uh, putting Plateau and Taiga into your Bant deck is not really where you want to be? I really don't mind uh, playing a Plateau and a Taiga. I, I, I love uh, <laughs> playing weird dual lands. That's that's right up my alley. But I, I must say, um, I can totally understand where expressive iteration in that deck comes from because, uh, uh, you know, um, traditionally, uh, this kind of blue and white control decks has always played some sort of card draw uh, stapled onto a sorcery or instant spell. I'm thinking about uh, predict and uh, accumulated knowledge, for instance. So I can really see why you want to play that kind of card. And uh, while doing so, so you you probably up the land account so that you are more likely to hit the land each time you play an expressive iteration. But I think there are some sort of awkward things about a deck filled with, say, eight plows, more or less, and two sweepers. If if you play your expressive iteration and opponent doesn't have a creature, 
and you find all, the, all these like reactive cards with expressive iteration. I think that card is better in a more proactive deck where you land either threats or sort of hate bears. So I, I'm, I'm quite unsure about that, but I mean, it has proven to be strong, obviously, and uh, it, it's a very strong card, giving both selection and card uh, uh, quantity. But I'm, I'm a little bit unsure if it's the right kind of card draw for a control deck. Yeah, I was uh, when I when I heard about you know the uh, more controlly decks playing you know a, a card like expressive iteration. I was thinking more about you know how it might fit in a uh, check pile deck, uh, but without the white. You know, just the non-white blue soup uh, with you know Leovolds mm. and hymns to thorax and stuff like that, because uh, you know playing a turn turn free iteration before land drop and you know finding land and hymn is pretty good but at the same time i'm not really sure like how you could build a deck that would do that well without getting you know destroyed by a wasteland or a turn one ragavan and they get to like hymn you on turn two or something it's pretty pretty scary <laughs> uh, i haven't really thought about it but uh, it's it, it was for sure a very cool thing. Uh, I was watching Anrog play it a bit, and you know when, when the when that plateau gets fetched, I mean it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a fan favorite also in the chat. <laughs> so uh, speaking of uh, fan favorites, I I actually got a listener question which I I thought about uh, talking about because it's. Uh, it's connected to my playing experience this week. So I actually got a question from one of our listeners uh, about my deck list for lands. So I thought I'd go, go through that just real quick and, and talk a little bit about the card choices. So it's 25 spells and 35 lands. I think that's quite a normal ratio. That's four mox diamonds, four crop rotations, four explorations, four life from the loams, four valakut explorations. Then there's three punishing fires and two Ursa targets, one expedition map and one pithing needle. And I I think that maybe you should play the foundry somewhere in this deck, but I haven't found the sort of the place for it. But maybe maybe you don't need the pithing needle in the main, main but it's, it's a real nice card to have. And then there's the 35 lands. So I have sort of divided them in into different uh, categories. Uh, so you have your sort of threats, that's three Dark Depths, two Ursa Sagas, one Field of the Dead, and four Thespian Stage. And I think that the sort of numbers that are being discussed here is, is the number of Ursa Saga in a lands deck. And for me, two has felt like a real good number. I know that some people quite down on Ursa Saga and just playing one, and some are quite high on Ursa Saga and playing three or even four. But for me, two has felt quite good. I don't want to really play it on turn two or turn three. Usually it's more of a late game card, but in some matchups it's good uh, to get down early. And there's also this sort of, if you play against a, a deck with a lot of counter spells, uh, your Ursa Saga can fetch Dark Depths via getting ex Expedition Map. And against some of the counter spell decks, Dark Depths is the best card. And then there's the sort of uh, protection package. So the Groove of the Burn Willows to get back your Punishing Fires, and two Blast Zones, and two Mazes of its. And that's three Groove of the Burn Willows. And then there's the Mana Denial package, two Richardon Ports, four Wastelands, and one Ghost Quarter. I mean, the Ghost Quarter is also up for debate. We were talking about that the other day, that wasting out a control, uh, like Ghost Quartering out a control deck is not quite so easy with Endurance in the format. So maybe, I'm not really sure on Ghost Quarter. I will have to test it more. And then there's the Mana Producing Land. Three fetches of different names that all fetches the forest, two taigas, and one sheltered thicket. And then there's a small uh, sort of one-off package of Boyuka Bog, Glacial Chasm, Caracas, and Tabernacle of the Pendle Whale. So that's the main deck and the sideboard. So there's four spheres of resistance and one main break, mind break trap. That's sort of the anti-combo uh, storm package. Two Force of Vigor and two Choke. And then, as my configuration is right now, it's two and uh, sorry, three Endurance and three Red Elemental Blast. And uh, up until quite recently, I had two Bolts in the sideboard uh, for Delver. But after listening to uh, the Magic Online user Ali talking on uh, 
uh, on another podcast about his uh, uh, land against the Delver matchup. Uh, I have cut the bolts because he was uh, on the I don't care about your threats plan, just make Merit Lich. So I'm going to try three Endurance and three Red Elemental Blasts instead of two Endurance, two Bolts and two Red Elemental Blasts. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's a nice configuration. I mean, I've I've been on the other side of the table. It's uh, it's a very nice list. It feels well tuned. And I really agree with the, you know playing dark depths. Sometimes uh, you have to think about you know making the opponent have the answer. Beg the question. <laughs> Do you have it? Yeah, I really like that this deck can take such a multiple of roles where it's sometimes it, it, it's a like a, a, a turbo depths deck and sometimes it's just a waste and recursion deck and sometimes it's an Urza deck so it's a, a different decks on, on different uh, occasions so that's pretty cool yeah i always thought that lands in general is such a beautiful deck somehow the the way it's composition the curation if you will of the deck just really speaks to my aesthetic senses even though i've never even been close to trying to sleeve up this deck myself yeah it's it's a real old deck doing something that no other decks really does so i i completely agree with that well that sounds like you had a lovely week robin christopher how was your week yeah i had a pretty nice week uh, i decided to play uh, the two personal tutor pretty stock uh, doomsday list again and went 3 and 0 in the discord weekly i just think this deck you know it it really attacks on an extremely linear angle and i think uh, for a lot of decks uh, they can't kill this deck fast enough or resolve you know the the uh, crucial spell that's going to be like a, a really big problem due to all of the discarding like counter spells that this deck packs. It's it's a like A and B combo deck, but having to only resolve a doomsday to put your opponent in a, like a world of hurt uh, is uh, sometimes a lot less, you know, risky than playing Belcher or TES where Sometimes you have to either set up a lot, uh, like with defense grids, or you know, uh, just going for a, an, an early empty or something like that. This deck can just you know cantrip a lot and uh, uh, eventually just go. Like uh, I'm not I'm not gonna lean too heavy into this. It's a dark ritual into doomsday, and if if they have an answer, uh, you can decide on whether you want to fight about it or if you if you have other avenues to win later like down the line so i really i really like this deck it's extremely strong the the first match i played was against bant blade and uh, you know my opponent had to mulligan quite a bit and playing against doomsday which is quite fast and also like resilient it's like i said very linear so it's it's gonna do its thing quite fast especially with the tutors uh, it's not it's not a matchup like no matchup is a matchup you want to mulligan in but i think if you're on a fair blue deck that's not you know delver secrets it can feel really bad going down to six or five in this matchup and um, so that was a, a two two oh the second opponent was against lance and it was the Lance Mirror Robin didn't want to play opponent. I totally respect that. I've played the Lance Mirror a couple of times and it's uh, it's not fun. <laughs> it's uh, one opponent is just like one of the players is just going to start running away with the game a bit faster than the other one, you know, a timely Bajuka bog or getting, you know, exploration lone wasteland early. I haven't played it like that matchup in a while, but uh, in 2017 it was not a good experience. But yeah, game one I got to do the I'm a herpy derpy combo player with a really fast kill, I think turn one or two. Game two I got Sphere Resistant turned one, and I was a couple of turns later like one mana away from killing anyways. He made some constructs with the uh, Ursa Saga, which is a really good way to beat Doomsday, I think, if you have put a Sphere or something into play. 
it creates so much pressure when he sacrificed the saga he put a needle into play on street wraith and you know like just making sure that he wouldn't die so easily and when i finally you know paid all of that extra mana and presented the fastest oracle the sphere effect made it so i couldn't daze and he just played like hard cast and endurance and uh, that didn't feel great <laughs> The, the funniest thing happened in game 3 was, uh, I think Robin was uh, spectating when this happened. I, I brought in Sheldock Isle Emrakul against Lance just because. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not the best that you can do in this matchup because they play a lot of wastelands. Uh, or find, like ways to find wasteland. But I was thinking, if I can squeeze a really early Sheldock Isle, then I'm gonna have to make him crop for it or something. So I did just that. Turn one, set up the pile. Turn two, play play the Sheldock. He wastelands me, so so it died. I untap and just kill him with Oracle instead, with counter backup this time. So it it was just like a really sweet, like damned if you do, damned if you don't. I was a little bit surprised to see you boarding in Sheldock Island against Lance. I mean, because the Oracle, I guess, is a clean win against most of their cards, but I guess that. There's this this little chance of endurance, of course. Yeah, in this in this scenario, I think I was just uh, you know in in the meme sphere, you know, like sure this might not be super super strong in this scenario, and uh, you know I was super aware about wasteland and stuff, but sometimes playing that Sheldock, I mean I could have put another Phasus Oracle under it or something like that because I bored in the second one as well in case he would do something like endurance you know having some way out of it you know maybe putting another doomsday in the pile and try again but yeah that was really sweet then we played some extremely good games well was it the black splash uh, bant or was it straight up bant yeah it was the black splash but i guess that black splash didn't really matter so much oh i guess leovold was a a card with text actually but yeah these matches were really good uh, i thought the games were quite close, actually. I, I can't remember. Did did you mulligan or did I? I can't exactly remember if you had to go down. I don't think I mulliganed. I, I kept a, quite a bad hand game one, I think, uh, and then I boarded in in like ten cards, but still lost. <laughs> that was just like the the big brain play of uh, I think it was turn one you know ponder or something and then turn two I go you know with a Volk up I play underground sea and personal tutor and get a Fotsis <laughs> and then the turn after I go double Fotsis into petal dark ritual doomsday and I think I killed you two turns after that because I, I was like I, I, I like ripped your hand apart it felt pretty safe from there and I had like Pyroblast, Force, uh, so it, it felt pretty good. But it's it, it's a very fun matchup, and I think if you tune the deck to beat Doomsday, you will. <laughs> like if you add extra extra, you know, dress downs or endurances or hull breachers, maybe it can be really rough. Yeah, I, I was on a quite a reasonable build of of Bant when it comes to to cards to board in. Uh, I, there was only two dress downs. There were only Two or three uh, endurances and uh, halberdiers and uh, plus a storm and and veil of summer and <laughs> lots of card but but not like all of the hate pieces and and like no cannonists or something like that that might uh, win you uh, a counter war which which can also be important but I mean doomsday feels it's it's I really like to have a, a combo deck that feels so strong as Doomsday in the meta again because it's been a while since since Storm decks were this good. I feel. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, now now you're just forgetting that uh, High Tide has been making uh, the rounds uh, in back-to-back -back weeks. <laughs> so I don't know what you're talking about there. You mean one Sorry. fun storm deck? Uh, <laughs> one st what do you mean one fun combo deck? It's completely, completely out of place. Once again, big shout out to Marcus. Uh, he, like uh, he just keeps crushing it with high tide, and uh, you know, love to see it. It's amazing. Also, I love Christopher how you just referred to yourself in your uh, sort of play by plays that this one time when I was in the meme zone 
I'm, I'm sorry, but you're always in the meme zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here, here's the thing. Like uh, when I'm in the quote-unquote meme zone, um, I'm usually playing a tier five plus deck, or I, or I do some really stupid thing with a less than you know desirable legacy powered card, but. In this scenario, I'm playing like one of the finest tuned combo decks, and I'm like, I'm gonna board in this really wasteable land against lands. Yeah, but I mean, maybe that's how that uh, matchup is skewed. So you can sort of, you can almost board out your win cons and board in the most like susceptible win cons that there possibly can be against that deck and still beat it. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just have to put some like trauma, trauma drama. <laughs> in that uh, mix but yeah so that was my play victor did paper legacy happen sukasa we sukasa paper legacy happened a little bit uh, i had less time for play than i had hoped for last week but i did jam a couple of games with uh, robin uh, most notably i took out yorion taxes again for a spin and it did indeed seem as if i'm actually learning to play this deck I mean, although the version of Bant that Robin was playing against me was slightly untuned for that in Taxes, because he kept playing all these legends, and I play a full set of Caracas in this deck, and that's pretty good. It still felt as if I am beginning to get a deeper understanding of the way to play mono-white control in 2021. For example, in, in one game, uh, I kept 2-drop, 5-drop, five 5 lands, which is a hand that I sort of, in previous days, I would never, ever, ever keep uh, on that in taxes. Five lands, two drop, five drop. I, I can't really see what I would keep. But now suddenly I'm feeling like I'm playing control in any iteration of standard there has ever been. Where sort of any hand, which is two drop, five drop, five lands, you just keep that. Probably snap against almost everything. But doing this in Legacy? Apparently, yes. And then I guess the lands that I had in my hand were quite good. I mean, of course... They're not five planes. So it's like you have two planes, Wasteland, Caracas, Port. Uh, and that uh, also Robin was a bit short on mana in uh, both of our games. And I sort of got to play these things where I resolve Ethervile turn six, seven, when I finally draw it. You know, slowly tick it up to five, get Yorion from the board, Caracas in play. Zoom, 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 zoom. It's really that uh, Mr. Smith from The Matrix. It is inevitable, 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 inevitable. It's a, quite a big brain play to bait out the prismatic ending on something else and then play the violent turn five when nobody expects it. This is, this is because I have a big brain and you've seen it. Yeah, but also when you when you evaluate your your keep, you can always think about the three drop, which is getting Yori into your hand, and then the other five drop, which is playing it. So, yeah, it it felt really really rough trying to play cute cards like Joel Rael and uh, and Leovold and uh, and Uro, and uh, suddenly I just realized all of them were legends, and no one was getting through with any damage nor blocking. So, uh, Terminus back into the deck. Yeah, I, I just uh, thought of the perfect, you know, if you would have been a con content creator on YouTube, you know. <clears throat> baits, baits a spell to resolve turn 6 Aedevile. You won't believe what happens on turn 12. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and then I have to find a way to dress up in a Yorion costume. for gothic horror shenanigans. Innistrad Midnight Hunt is upon us. Let's get a couple of examples of cards that could be considered for the decks that we play. Uh, first, a disclaimer. We are not making an attempt to talk about the cards that necessarily are the best legacy cards in this set. We will talk about what might have a place in our decks and why or why not they have the potential to make the 75 or 95. 
and I am actually going to go first. For Death and Taxes, there have been two cards that I have seen people sort of um, tweeting, putting in Facebook groups and such. Uh, first one of them is Cathar Commando. It's one and a white for a human soldier, 3-1. Flash, one colorless, sacrifice Cathar Commando, destroy target artifact or enchantment. So basically it's the same ability that Kasali Pride Mage has written on it. Although instead of Exalted, it has Flash. And instead of being a 2-2, it's a 3-1. So people are saying, wow, look at this. Kasali Pride Mage in Mono White with Flash. And I'm basically thinking, yeah, I never really missed not having access to Kasali Pride Mage in Death and Taxes. But perhaps, you know, it's a 2-drop, I guess. That's not horrible. I think in the current iteration of Death and Taxes... I mean, this does nothing on ETB, and that's just not good enough these days. This does something for three mana if it doesn't get countered, and then why not just play Skyclave Apparition instead if we're going to use three mana anyway? But I know that you are a bit high on this card, Christopher, so uh, defend it, please. Yeah, so, like, am I going to defend its, uh, like, legacy playability? Uh, perhaps not. I mean, Death and Taxes doesn't really play disenchant in the sideboard because it's not really necessary but this isn't a disenchant uh, this is a, a pretty buff ambush viper with the disenchant effect and you know there are cards that this hits that uh, cards like skyclave doesn't hit uh, we're talking about uh, you know the omniscience out there uh, all of those cards you can catch someone's batter skull with this if they're tapped out or just stuff like that but what i what i freaked out about because i was probably the loudest person in our discord the evening i saw this like if you think about where commons have gone this is for for one and a white this is a flash free one that's pretty good already and then they just slapped on the neutralize for a colorless on it I think this is a, a pretty busted common. I mean, sure, it's it's uh, the abilities and the size of it doesn't really make it a rare, but I was just shocked to see this at common. And I think the biggest sell for this over Kosali Pride Mage uh, in in a death light, like in death and taxes, besides you know you not having to play green, is of course if you're playing caverns uh, i'm not really sure i'm i'm not in tune with uh, how the decks are nowadays but having an uncountable thing to really get rid of some really troublesome permanents can be quite good so I, w I was just like this is a crazy rate for a card it might not have a fit but it's super powerful on rate where have all the commons gone indeed? I like it though. I think this is... Uh, I like seeing this at common. Uh, then at rare, there is a card that has been uh, spoiled called uh, Fateful Absence. And so you gotta love this card a little bit to begin with because it has Soren in the art. He is apparently looking for his dad who's supposed to be in a coffin where he's not in this image. So Fateful Absence is one in a white instant. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. Its controller investigates. And investigate for those who've forgotten since we were in Innistrad last time around. Uh, in basically says create a colorless clue artifact token that has to sacrifice this artifact, draw a card. So people have been raving about this card quite a bit. But as this, as, as with the other card, I'm just thinking in Legacy, I really don't know. I mean, getting rid of a creature, we have way way better ways of doing that, of course. And getting rid of a planeswalker. Probably a thing that we might want to do, but we want to do it at the price of giving our opponents a card as well. I don't know if that's worth it, because we should be able to kill planeswalkers by attacking into them. And then I would rather have access to a card that prevents my opponent from stopping my creatures getting in on that planeswalker. Uh, of course, if an opponent plays Planeswalkers against Death and Taxes, odds are they might be playing cards like Terminus, which is a problem for us. But then again, that's a problem anyway, and you have Sanctum Predator for that. So, I mean, I'm not going to say this is not going to go into the deck. I'm intrigued by 
instant speed killer planeswalker in mono white, of course. But I'm gonna have to evaluate if it's actually worth giving them a card as well. I guess if you're ahead, that doesn't really matter that much. But if you're sort of even, so lagging behind, it just feels like you're sort of hanging against the ropes in a boxing match, sort of bouncing off, but just bouncing into another fist, I guess. The third card, though, is the one that I'm most excited about. Uh, this is Rite of Oblivion. One white, one black. Sorcery. As an additional cost to cost this spell, sacrifice a non-land permanent. Exile target non-land permanent. Flashback to white, black. So this is, of course, not a card that's fit for death and taxes, but this is something that really might have a place in Rector Fit. Because Rector Fit, as all Rector decks, always need to find the good sack outlets, and there never are any good sack outlets. But in my current iteration of Rector Fit, for those who haven't been following too closely from sort of deck lists from two weeks ago, I play two copies of Vanishing Verse which is one white, one black, instant, exile, target, non-land, permanent. So basically, with this card, you trade sorcery speed for the ability to sacrifice one of your rectors, or if need be, a veteran explorer. And it also has flashback. And since you play Grist in this deck, you can also always sacrifice an insect uh, if you don't have anything else to sacrifice. And exiling a non-land permanent is, of course, a nice thing for this deck to do. Uh, and Vanishing Verse has the drawback that it exiles a monocolored permanent. I mean, this card exiles Karns, exiles Ensnaring Bridgers, you know, and a number of cards. So what do you think? Is trading instant for sorcery speed in Rector Fit worth it with this card? I think for me, the, the biggest upside, like Vanishing Verse is, is cool. I mean, you it's it's nice to have one of those pseudo catch-all kind of spells but um, like you said you are playing grist and the worst feeling in the world is when you board in a card like vanishing bears and then just plus grist it into the graveyard this still does something from the graveyard this still acts like the really expensive cable therapy from the graveyard and i, I really enjoy that i think it's uh, quite cool I really also enjoyed that it's, uh, you know, sacrifice a non-land permanent to exile target non-land permanent. Uh, if it would have been either, you know, target opponent sacrifices a, a permanent type of whatever choice or something like that, it wouldn't have had the same impact of, like you were talking about, like, why this, why prefer this over the other card, the Faithful Absent, which... I actually don't think is good at all. I, I, I think that this hits what you need to hit. Like you were talking about, if if you're gonna, you know, faithful absent your opponent's Jace uh, when they've brainstormed once, you've they were kind of like up two cards already. And it, especially, like probably ahead in the game as well because you didn't kill it with combat, like you said. So I'm, I, I'm more on, on this card. You know, the Rectifit is more... A linear strategy that has like a really big crescendo and this is something that helps you get there and also rector fit plays plays a lot sorcery speed wise you want to play the cards on your turn keep priority uh, and do your things you don't really do much at the end of your opponent's turn the only thing you do in instant speed of course is uh, yam your opposition agents which is you know fun in itself I think it's a pity that it says non-land permanent because you'll find yourself in many situations where you have quite a lot of lands in play. And uh, so if, if it was a sacrifice permanent as the part of the cost, I think the cost would not be so steep because you could, if you don't have a, a creature that you want to sacrifice, you could just get rid of a land that you don't really need. Yeah, of course. I'm going to try it though. I think it, it might be something. And to finish off, I also think it has the best flavor text in a very long time. Revenge is a circle without end. You know what's also a circle without end? A circle. Like a normal <laughs> circle is also <laughs> without ends. Now I'm not going to... I'm not going to be like... But yeah, I, I think they're pretty cool. And these are both... like I would not be really shocked to see any of these in Legacy. Maybe the absence, but the other ones, if someone would like have one of these in the board or in the main, I would not get super shocked. Maybe by the human, but yeah, 
All right, then, Christopher, which are your picks? Yeah, I, I picked three cards that like uh, I think a more like a lot a lot of people might speculate already on being good in in Legacy, and the first card is Slugurk the Overslime, which is uh, for a one a green and a blue. It's a legendary creature ooze free free trample, and when a land card is put into a graveyard from anywhere, put a plus one plus one counter on Slugark. And then it has remove three plus one plus one counters from it to return it to its owner's hand. And finally, the best ability for me on the card is when it leaves the battlefield, return up to three target land cards from your graveyard to your hand. And you know, it seems to have a really strong home in a deck like Legacy Lands. You know, it's uh, pretty much a loam on a stick in in certain like if you're playing lands you know getting those lands into the graveyard is not going to be a problem you can just return it at instant speed so it kind of protects itself uh, in a really nice way but where my mind goes is uh, towards something like a threshold deck uh, featuring a couple of these you know loam mongoose maybe some winter orbs and stifles uh, maybe if you add the red like the red splash again for the uh, dragon rage chandler or something like that just really efficient ways to get uh, delirium uh, getting lands into the graveyard uh, maybe having crop rotations in the in the main to have a caracas or uh, a couple of like four wasteland obviously to just have you know a really mean fair tempo land hating deck and uh, one of my favorite interactions with this card is how well it plays with crop rotation Caracas. Uh, if you have this in play and you crop rotate, then you get like one card into the graveyard, uh, it grows a bit. And if you fetch Caracas to save this, if you don't have free counters, uh, you bounce it and you still get free cards, like free lands from your graveyard. The card that you crop rotated and maybe a wasteland and a fetch or something like that just super powerful so i i, I really like it what do you think i think i want to find a way to discard three lands per turn and return them to my hand and then discard them again this works right yeah it does you have to bounce it then and replay it so it's it's a bit clunky maybe but uh, yeah it, it does work allure yeah, for sure. Maybe mana bond also. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's not uh, unthinkable to play something like a faithless looting in lands because you can recoup the cards that you discard so easily, and that would trigger it. Yeah, it looks like a real cool card. I, I I have watched, I have seen it, and I have sort of dismissed it. But you're sort of selling it a little bit to me, so. I might reconsider it. Think about the best threshold memories you have of Stifles and Wastelands and do it again with this one card. That's not... I, I was more intrigued in the sort of the Lands deck. But it, 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 it's it, it's a little bit like that old Agrolome card, the countryside crusher that that mills land from the top of your library and get the trigger each time you put land in the graveyard. But yeah, I, I I kind of like it. I, mean, I I love this card for for the reasons that you mentioned. Obviously, I'm not going to repeat what Robin just said because I think he is completely right. But I also I like it when they make these cards that are called Slowgrook to Overslime, and then you look this the the art and it's this huge ooze that has a ship stuck in it. Yeah. And there is this weird scorpion <laughs> flying around next to it, and it's just it's in this field with lots of creatures this is strange house and the big moon like this type of top-down design i can really get with yeah yeah for sure and i think like like robin said it's it's probably better in a deck like like lands uh, where getting lands into the graveyard uh, has a stronger synergy a random lore fact about slugurk is that it's an a away from being slow gurka which in swedish is cucumber and it kind of looks like a cucumber on the art as well just wanted to shout out that
but yeah, let's let's uh, keep on going. The second card that I picked is an artifact called the Celestus, and it's a, a free mana artifact, and it's a legendary artifact even. And if it's neither day or night, it becomes day as the Celestus enters the battlefield. It has add one mana of any one color as a tap ability. Then it also has free and tap. If it's night, it becomes day. Otherwise, it becomes night. Activate only as a sorcery. Whenever days, day becomes night or night becomes day, you gain a life. You may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. So I'm not 100% sure about the day and night mechanic, but as I've understood it, it's kind of like how the old transform in Innistrad worked. Once day and night has been uh, triggered, it's a static effect that's just going to linger in the game. It's going to continue being day or night. So if it's night and a player plays two spells, it becomes day. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, and if you play no spells, it becomes night. But in the old iteration, I think you could interrupt your opponent's attempts at making night by playing a spell yourself. But now, as many other things, moving into night is a one-sided action, as I understand it. Yeah, so for me, this card could be very cool as maybe a one-off or something in Painter. I mean, it loots, it gains you life, and it helps out with your mana. I do like artifacts a lot that just can generate value slowly over time uh, without you know not really needing too much attention this is just good if you're hiding behind a bridge or if you've uh, resolved an engineer or uh, a welder just it's something that just sits there and keeps on tugging i compare this to another card that has seen play in painter before that's fallen out of favor which is a smuggler's copter from kaladesh and I think that this is just a card that requires a lot less from you. If you draw a card and it's a blank, you can still just, you know, pay free and tap this. And, you know, you get to filter the, the dead card that you drew while also gaining life. And, you know, I, I just thought it's really sweet. If you don't play a spell and if it's day, uh, this effect just happens anyways. So it's a, it's a really cool way if you're sitting there just <laughs> having the, the standoff with your opponent. If you don't play a spell and it becomes night, you, you get to like dig one deeper into another red, red elemental blast or something like that. Uh, I think it's very cool. Or just, you know, having, putting that painter servant into the graveyard with your welder in hand. You know, just making the the game tighten up really fast. So I, I really enjoyed this. So what do you think about this one? It's hard to evaluate, but I guess in that shell when you're hiding behind a bridge, you you sort of your opponent, if it's a blue deck, will probably have more filtering than you do. So I I, I guess you want this kind of effect to dig for your win cons or dig for your protection spells. And uh, yeah, may, maybe. Yeah, I think it's. As Robin says, difficult to evaluate if this is going to be something you can do or not. But I think this is the type of card that I'm sort of looking at it. You feel sort of perhaps this could actually be something. And if that something was to be something, that could really be something. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm hoping it. Uh, I'm hoping to, uh, to see you test it out uh, and that it actually does become something. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm, I don't think that it's going to be like a, a super powerful player, but I do like what it can do for the deck. And in those, you know, if you're playing against a, a, a control player, uh, those, you know, filtering uh, cards that you're mentioning, uh, you do have the one mana uh, hard counters for most of the scary stuff. And this is just an annoying effect that just stays in play. It's just sitting there waiting. So I, I really enjoy it. Okay, we're down to the last pick. And I picked a one, like a card that it's not in a deck I probably will play. And it's the Spectral Adversary. So it's one and a blue for a creature spirit to one flying flash. And it went, when it enters the battlefield, you may pay one and a blue any number of times. And when you pay this cost one or more times, 
put that many plus one plus one counters on it, and then up to that many other target artifacts, creature, and or enchantments face out. So this is really good because it's not, you know, the classic things you control face out. You can face out your opponent's things, or you could face out your own things. I think this is a, a really cool card, and it might be the card that in the latest iterations we've seen of Legacy and how the meta has shaken out, this might be one of the cards that could really help Spirit Tribal with, you know, Spell Quellers and uh, stuff like that becoming a more serious threat. Maybe becoming the new deck that the 60 card Defentaxis was, you know, disruptive, a really strong vile deck. And a card like this is just super sweet. The facing out ability is just super cool and you know you can vial this one in if you have two mana up to just save your vial by facing it out you know it, it it can buy a lot of time you can face out the opponent's merit if they're attacking you can save your spell queller if they're bolting it or something like that and it's also you know pretty sweet against mass sweepers for six mana you can just cast this and save two more important creatures or if you have Vile, up to three creatures. Uh, so I just, I really like it. You know, a 2-1 flash flying for two is, might not be the greatest, but this is like the, the spirit deck is a super synergistic deck. And I think in that case, it's a fine body for the, for the rate and the effect is, yeah, quite unique. And I think this might be a card that a deck like Legacy Spirits has been missing. I agree completely that this might really be the thing that Legacy Spirits has been missing. I think the only potential problem could be that you have this is not a cheap thing to activate. Like asking one and a blue for one facing, then you then you might face that very specific ensnaring bridge, or you might face that very specific other card. Facing two cards is gonna cost you four mana, and that's stretching the potentials of a tribal deck. Uh, even though I don't know how a spirit tribal deck would actually look in Legacy. Would they play Wastelands, for example? I don't know. Would they play Ports? Would they be that type of wild deck? Or would they try to do something else? I mean, are they are they goblins or are they elves? <laughs> um, but I mean, um, it, for sure, you've never been more intrigued to play Legacy Spirits uh, than now. Yeah, I think the mana base of of those decks looks a lot like a lot of caverns, a lot of basics some tundra if you're straight up you know blue white uh, then you know uh, that's a fine mana base maybe add uh, more land haunt or whatever that uh, spirit uh, land is but i'm not I, i'm not really sure but i don't think you know this is uh, you you're playing a lot of you know quite expensive spirits uh, and by that i mean spell queller <laughs> but uh, you know it's a really strong vile deck and uh, i think if we're looking towards modern, for example, um, the spirit deck in modern plays uh, Collected Company because it hits every spirit in the deck. And this might not be a perfect, you know, uh, thing to hit. Uh, so I would probably look at, you know, playing a straight up blue-white control-esque, uh, maybe adding some Teferis and doing that, you know, shenanigans that I did with the with the Lavinia deck, but with spirits instead and just having a harder beatdown plan and being more disruptive and maybe a bit weaker to sweepers. And that's where I think this card can, you know, yeah, you spell queller your opponent's Jace. A couple of turns later, they play the Terminus and you can flash this in to save two creatures. One of them being the spell queller with Jace under it. So I think it's, uh, it's very sweet. Do you have any opinions, Robin? Yeah, from looking on it, I, I think maybe that the sort of multi-kicker cost is a little bit too steep. Uh, if, if you just compare it with, say, Flicker Wisp that do something quite similar, it's three mana for uh, uh, a 3-1 flyer uh, that also sort of can save one, one guy that's being targeted or exile a bridge to swing. So... I mean, in the very late game, of course, this has a little bit more upside where you can target more more bodies with it. But I think maybe the, the multi-kicker cost is a little bit too steep. It always has flashed, though. 
unlike Flickerwisp. And I think that's the big, the biggest takeaway. Uh, but with Vile, yeah, Flickerwisp might be a bit more generous because you can Vile it in and the effect happens. And if you Vile this in, you still have to pay. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's cool that it yeah. is on on uh, uh, on entering the battlefield. That means that you don't have to. Uh, get all in with the multi-kicker cost. Uh, you can play it and see if it resolves, and if it does resolve, you can use the ability. So that's quite cool. Right, Robin, did you bring any cards for us? Well, I've been looking at this set a little bit, and I am happy to see it's a little bit of a low-power set compared to sets we have seen recently, and um, I'm really happy about that. Uh, I think there, there has been a little bit of a too big influx of new cards in Legacy lately, and... Uh, uh, it's good to see a little bit of uh, lowered power level and more like reasonable cards that won't break uh, and change legacy to the core. Uh, so uh, actually I haven't really found any cards that I've been super keen on uh, and like power level wise I think the strongest card in, in the set is uh, Dead of Our Secrets, Pithing Needle, Basic Island. <laughs> but uh, one card that has uh, at least sparked my interest is uh, the big brother of Ren and Six, or, or should I say sister, Ren and Seven. Uh, it's a five mana planeswalker, uh, two green and three colorless. Legendary planeswalker Ren. And it has uh, four abilities. Plus one is reveal top four cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. And there's a zero. Put any number of land cards from your hand onto, onto the battlefield tapped. And then there's the minus three. Create a green tree folk creature token with reach. And this creature's power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. And the ultimate minus eight is return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. And you get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. And the starting loyalty is five. So this is a land deck planeswalker, right? It does everything that you want a planeswalker to do in lands. But uh, I think my verdict on this is that five mana is a little bit, little bit too, too, too rough. To, to play. Maybe you can keep it in a board and board it in against decks that will count on count the magic uh, and where, where matchups go very long. Maybe you can board it in then. What do you guys think about this Planeswalker? Yeah, it's five mana, buddy. <laughs> no, but I think, I think uh, you know, it's, a, it's a very close of being there. I think uh, the the problem is really not the abilities because all of the abilities are so strong and uh, it's it's definitely on rate for what you want from a five mana planeswalker and it has a very clear home but five mana in legacy is very rough if you compare to the to the to the first theory which was the five mana, i mean you you try that in blue white miracle when it was uh, when it was printed, but legacy has changed so much since then. I I, I would never consider playing a five mana uh, planeswalker in that deck again. And uh, yeah, e even though like lands is a ramp deck, I think five mana is a little bit too steep for these effects. I actually have experience of playing a five mana planeswalker in lands. Uh, I played the the five mana Nissa quite a bit uh, in the sideboard against control decks. Uh, back in the back in the day, because one plus it's the oh man I can't remember the name of it, but it's the Kaladesh one. It, uh, it has a plus ability where it untaps a land, very good with Gas Cradle. But in in the deck I was playing, uh, the the turn after it comes in, you get to ultimate it, and its ultimate is whenever a land enters the battlefield, you draw a card, uh, which is very strong in lands, and uh, I think. That's, I mean, like I said, that's very strong in lands, and I still think Renan Seven is better, and I still wouldn't play it in lands uh, because of the five mana, because the the format has gotten so much harder for, you know, you're already struggling against these uh, force negation and daces unless you get under it, and then it kind of like you already won uh, if you're on the land stack. So it's 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 a tricky one for sure. Uh, but I really like it. It's it's a lot better than its predecessor, and as <laughs> yeah. as a healthy thing for the format, <laughs> not in power level. So yeah, that's that's my two cents. 
you know, playing five mana spells in Legacy, I don't really see what's all the fuss. <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting here all day telling you all about how easy it is. Just, you know, you'll draw the lands eventually, you'll sit there, you know, land go, land go, what can go wrong? When we're talking about cards that might have a really strong impact to the Legacy metagame, there's one card that none of us has talking about. And when I saw it, I wrote to a friend who plays a lot of Esper Vile. And the card that I'm talking about is Denek, um, P.S. Apprentice. Uh, has any one of you seen this? So it's, it's a legendary creature, human soldier. It's a blue and a white for a two free lifelink. And it has cards in graveyards can't be the targets of spells or abilities. And now you might think that, okay, but that's a kind of weird anti-graveyard uh, hate bear or whatever. And that effect is the least interesting thing for me on the whole card. Uh, the thing that's interesting is the Disturb, which is a new mechanic that you may... You may cast this card from the graveyard, transformed for its Disturb cost. And then it becomes Denik Pius Apparition, uh, which is a, a free to flying. And the thing that I really like about Esper Vial is when you enter this board state or this match where the opponent it, it feels impossible to get through or win what this card does is when it's disturbed unlike flashback or cards like uh, eternalize you know effects where you exile this card actually comes back into play transformed if you flicker it or bounce it with caracas it's the front side again or you replay it this can become such a pain to play against and this is the only card that I've seen with Disturbed that I was like this card can be really annoying to play against and Espevile it has the accidental your loam opponent can't loam but the just infinite blocker in in those kinds of scenarios if you have a Caracas like they're not getting through unless you decide to shump like or, or trade or something it's just super good and it, it was something that I was reminded of looking through the, the notes that, oh yeah, I, I was really high on this for Esper Vile. And I'm, I'm not sure about it, but yeah, the, that's just a small shout out. Do you have any opinions about that card? Does it seem reasonable in maybe the sideboard or main of uh, Esper Vile? It might. I mean, the stats aren't horrible. Then again, I never played Esper Vile, so I don't really know. But for sure, I mean, I consider it. And um, yeah, yeah, the recursion part of it feels quite strong. Espervile has so many flicker effects, so getting this one back should be really easy. And in another episode, sometime in the perhaps not too distant future, I can get back to raving about whether I think this iteration of Innistrad passes the lore test or not. Uh, we're not gonna get into that tonight. Uh, because this is all we have for this week we do hope that you have enjoyed yourselves and if you have do consider recommending us to a friend you could also give us maximum ratings in a podcasting app of your choice we have heard that helps if someone wants to reach out to us personally where can we be found robin you can find me on facebook um, that's where i do most of my magic it uh, conversations uh, but i'm also on various platforms under the name of jackabo you can find me on twitter i'm at monolith mtg i am also on twitter at disco drogo and this podcast has as of now its own discord server if you want to join in on that fun you can follow the link that's in the episode description or if you know us on any of the social medias or other discord channels you can of course also ask us there and that is the end of the 17th episode of stockholm legacy report thank you robin svensson and christopher rickstrom our amazing music is written by frenes you should check them out on spotify until next time howl high at the moon <laughs> <laughs>